How are we doing tonight, 812? Yes, you are ready. That's what I'm talking about. I am so excited to bring you guys week two of this series called Paradox. Now, we're going to get it started like this. How many of you guys think that when someone promises you something, that it is important that they follow through with it? How many of you think that? How many of you think that someone's word is important or that your word is important? I've heard people say things like, your word is my bond or, man, like you don't have anything if you cannot, if you, your word cannot be trusted. And, and so when we have people in different situations in our life where people promise us things or give us our word on things, man, we hang on those things and, and, and we want to believe that what they're saying is true. Now, when I was 15 years old, uh, we were down, my parents have like this uh, little small lake house, this lake called White Lake. It's in North Carolina, and that's where I grew up is in North Carolina. And so it's about three and a half hours from my house. And my best friend, uh, Travis, and my brother, Jason, all three of us uh, and my parents went up to my parents' lake house. And, there, and it was during the summertime, so there's this other guy that was about our age that kind of lived on our, or that came and stayed on our street. And so his name was Evan, and so Evan got up with us, and we were kind of hanging out all week long. And, uh, and at the end of our street is like this pier, this long pier that goes out, and it's got like an upper deck on it. And, uh, and so we would go out and hang out at the pier at nighttime. And so it was late at night one night, man. It was probably about 9, 30, 10 o'clock. It was dark outside. And all four of us are hanging out on top of the pier. And as we're hanging out on top of the pier, we see like five or six piers over. We call it the long pier. And because it's the longest pier around the lake and it goes way out like twice as far on the water as ours. And we can see the lights on the top of the pier at the end shining in the water. And we notice that there are two couples in the water. Older couples. <laughs> that is not gross. And uh, I, they were just talking. There's nothing scandalous, you crazy teenagers. And, um, you know, and they, they were probably, you know, they, they were, you know, uh, young 60s, you know, they were, they weren't, they, they're not that old. And, and they're, uh, they're, hey, you're like 60s. Y'all think 30s old. Come on. And uh, I'm like, I'm like over halfway to 60. That is not old, people. Anyways, and uh, so, so we see these, this couple sitting out in the water. And so, um, and, and, I, and I'll be honest with you, uh, among my friends, I'm known as the instigator. And, uh, and so, so I turn and I look at Evan and I say, hey, bro, I bet you won't strip down naked run down that pier and jump off the top into the water right in the middle of those people. That's right. And Evan said, you're right, I will not do that. And I said, all right, all right, all right, I'll give you five bucks. My brother says, I'll throw in five. Travis says, I'll throw in five. Like that, and he says, nah, 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 it's got to be better than that. So my brother's like, I'll throw in 10. I was like, I'll throw in 10. My friend Chad's like, I'll throw in 10. We're up to 30 bucks. Evan's like, I won't do it for less than 50. So I was like, all right, all right, I'll give 20. My brother's like, I'll give 20. Travis's like, I'm still at 10. And uh, I was like, you punk. And uh, so, so he's like, all right, all right, all right, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it for 50 bucks. He's like, he got, you promised that you're going to pay me? Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, we're going to pay you. All right, well, let's shake on it. And so we shake on it. We're like, yeah, my, like my, you got my word, bro. Come on, man. We've been hanging out all week. We're boys. We don't do each other like that. Uh, we're going to pay up. And, uh, and so we didn't have $50. <laughs> and uh, 
So Evan, Evan runs down, he runs down the pier. Now, we, this is back before iPhone days, so we couldn't videotape it, unfortunately. And he gets down at the end of the long pier, and, and, uh, and, and he strips down butt naked. And he runs down the pier, he climbs up to the top, and we're watching from our pier, and we see him cannonball off the top of this pier, right in the middle of these people. Dude, it was awesome. And, uh, and so we're like laughing, we're dying, all this kind of stuff. And I'm the instigator. So I said, I said, bro, before he gets back down, let's run and grab his clothes. So we ran down, we got to the end of the pier, we grabbed all his clothes up, we took off running back to the house, we locked ourselves in the house with his clothes, and he was like out there naked running around the, the, the place. It was, it, was, it was pretty awesome. And, uh, and, and, uh, and so the next day, he was pretty upset with us. He's like, where's my money at? Where's my money at? We're like, bro, we're just playing, we're just playing, man. We're just playing. He's like, no, that's not funny. Like, you had anybody ever do you like that before? I've had people do me like that. You know, like your word's important, your promise is important. Man, we promised this guy upside down and we didn't follow through on our promises and he was pretty disappointed about it. And I found this to be true. Most every person in my life, no matter how much they love me, no matter how much they care about me, at some point in my life have disappointed me. I've had some expectations about what they were gonna do for me or about how things were gonna go in a certain situation. I've even had them promise me things, even parents, even people that are close friends, that they ended up just not being able to come through on. And sometimes it was completely unintentional and sometimes it was intentional. But this is what I found. God always comes through on his promises. He always does. If God says he is going to do it, he always follows through on his promises no matter what he says he's gonna do. In fact, the scriptures tell us this, that of all the promises in scripture, they are yes in Jesus. They are yes, that when the Bible tells us something, we can believe it to be true as, as God promises things. So even oftentimes in my prayer time, when I'm praying through some things, I will say, hey God, you say this in your word. And God's like, I know what I already said. And you don't have to worry about reminding me about that because I already know what I said and what I said was true and what I said I'm gonna follow through on. See, that's what God does, and that's what makes a relationship with God so amazing is that you can trust him. You can trust him, and you can trust his promises for us. And we are actually in the second week of this series called Paradox. As I talked to you about last week, I talked about how, how in Matthew chapter 4, verses 23, and in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35, it tells us what Jesus was doing while he was here on his earthly ministry. It tells us that he was teaching the people, that he was preaching and pro proclaiming the gospel, and it tells us that he was healing the sick. And I talked to you about how those two verses say the very exact thing, we saw them on the board, and they kind of make like a sandwich, they bookend uh, two major passages of scripture, Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, which I called the meat. This is my Chick-fil-A sandwich. That's chicken right there. Anybody with me on Chick-fil-A? Mm. I had chick Yes. Amen, brother. Thank you, Jesus, for Chick-fil-A. I had some tonight. And, uh, and, and, then, and then Matthew, so the, Matthew 5 through 7, this is Jesus teaching. This is him preaching. And then Matthew 8 and 9 is Jesus' uh, stories, a cluster of stories of Jesus going around healing people. And we see these, these scriptures right here as they sandwich in uh, these, these scriptures in action. This is what Jesus is doing while he's on ministry here on earth. 
And what I told you last week is, is that we're going to take the Sermon on the Mount, the meat of that, chapter 5 through chapter 7, and we're going to teach three series on that, starting with Paradox, the series we're in now, and we're going to focus this, this series on Matthew chapter 5. The next series, we're going to focus on Matthew chapter 6, and the last series, which will take us through the first week in August, will be on Matthew chapter 7. We're going to break down the Sermon on the Mount. And last week, I talked to you about the Beatitudes, and I talked to you about uh, how the Beatitudes are these promises from God to us, that the Beatitudes aren't this list of things that we have to do to try to earn God's love or to try to be a better Christian, but the Beatitudes are promises from God to us because of the things that he has already placed in us. And it's a pretty powerful, powerful picture in Scripture of the promises of God and, and what Jesus tells us as his followers that we get to participate in and be a part of. Now remember, I talked to you last week that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is sitting down, he's talking to his disciples, and the crowd of people are eavesdropping, they're listening in on the conversation. And we, we are titling this series Paradox because the word paradox means this, a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement that after further investigation proves to be true. Let me say that again. A paradox is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement that after further investigation proves to be true. And Jesus comes on the scene and he starts saying these things in the Sermon on the Mount and everything that these people have been taught most of their lives through culture and even through religion, Jesus comes in and he drops a bombshell right in the middle of it. And he basically says, you've missed the point. And Jesus begins to teach them. And some of the things that he says, they are, they are, they are like, Jesus, this is absurd. Like, this, like, how in the world can this be? How can you say eye for an, uh, eye, for an eye? We know that eye for an eye, it's, it's revenge. And if someone, if someone does something to me, I do it back to them. They smash my iPhone, I get to smash their iPhone. Like, that makes sense. But then you say, turn the other cheek. You say if they ask for my, if they want to sue me for my shirt, then give me, give them their, my coat as well. Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? That doesn't make sense. And at the core of it is that Jesus wants to show us that love prevails. That love prevails. And last week we walked through and we looked at the four, the first four Beatitudes. Tonight we're going to hit on the last four. And I'm so excited about this scripture. So we're going to go ahead and read. I'm going to go ahead and read actually Matthew chapter 5 through uh, 1 through 12. And we're going to read through the first four we went through last week. And then we're going to talk about the last four. So here we go. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, Matthew chapter 5 verse 1, if you've got a Bible under your seat or you can look at it on the screens. When Jesus saw the crowd, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed or blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed or blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Notice the promise, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. Notice the promise, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Notice the promise, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, 
because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus steps up and he, he's been laying out these beatitudes, kind of showing us what they are. And, and, and we're going to jump into the fifth one. And the fifth one is this. He says in verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. What, is, what does mercy mean? Mercy means not receiving what you deserve. Mercy means not receiving what you deserve. It is, it is being pardoned from just punishment. So in other words, if you are in a situation and, and, and you're guilty and you are to be punished for that situation, mercy would be saying, letting you off the hook. Like when I was in college, I was a first semester freshman and I kind of had senioritis. Any seniors in the house? My senioritis kind of carried over into freshman year of college, and it just kind of bled over in there, and it wasn't intentional. And, and I, I thought that I was going to be smart. I was like, you know what? I'm going to take, like, I already go to school early in high school anyway, so I'm going to have 8 a.m. classes Monday through Friday, so I'll be out by, like, 11.30, 12 o'clock every day, and I'll have the rest of the day. But then when you get to college, you realize you stay up later, and you don't want to get up for that 8 o'clock class. And so I had a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 8 a.m. psychology class. And then I had another 8 a.m. class on Tuesday and Thursday. That 8 a.m. psychology class, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I went the first week, and then I did not go again until the last week. And I am towards the end of the semester, and I had completely forgot that I was even taking the class. Like completely forgot because I hadn't been in so long. And I was looking through my schedule and some of my, some of my paperwork, which was disorganized and all over the place uh, back when I was just a mess. And, and I, I'm looking through it all, and I see this class, and I was like, oh, no. See, the reality was hitting me that I was going to get this, I was going to fail this class. My parents were going to get a, a copy of my grades, and they were going to be really upset. And they may just say, hey, bro, you're not going back to school. And I didn't want that to happen, and so I'm freaking out. So I go to the teacher, to the professor, and I say, I don't remember her name, and I said, can you please, please help me out? I, I made a huge mistake. Like, I just skipped some classes. I completely forgot about it. I haven't turned in any work. All the deadlines have passed. Like, is there any way that you can help me, like, just pass the course? I don't even care if I get a D. And she says, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do you'll get the grade that you earned. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Can you please just help me out? Please just, like I'm begging this lady. Like I'm like, I'm probably even crying. I don't remember, but I was, I was begging this lady. And, and she says this, she says, all right, I'll tell you what. The exam is next week. If you pass the exam, I will give you a D. Thank you. Thank you so much. And so I went and I started trying. I didn't have any notes. And so I'm trying to find people in the class. I'm trying to study and I'm trying to figure this thing out. And I get into the class and I take the exam. And I'm working through the exam. And I did not know a single question on the exam. And I got my report card or at the end of the semester and she gave me a D. Now I know I didn't pass that exam. And I took the exam to her off or I took the uh, the, uh, my grade to her office, and I sit down in her office, and I said, I know I didn't pass that exam. Why did you give me a D? And she says, may this be a lesson to you. I did not give you what you deserved. I gave you mercy. 
And I said, thank you. I didn't make below a B for the rest of my college career. That moment of her giving me mercy literally changed the trajectory of my college experience. Now, don't think that you're going to go to college and have that same experience. But the point of that is that's what mercy is, and that's what God gives to us. And not only does God give that to us, but he says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Here's the idea. The idea is is that as God has shown us mercy by not giving us what we deserve, we all deserve hell because of our sin. We all deserve being separated from God, and God gives us eternal life. He gives us the gift of salvation. He says, I'm giving you what you don't deserve, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. But now, because you are a bearer of my mercy, you are to go give mercy to other people. Then mercy just comes out of you. That just as God has pardoned you, now your your responsibility as a follower of Christ, now that this has been placed in you, is to pardon other people who oppose you. In fact, Jesus even addresses this later in Matthew chapter 18, and he tells the story of the unmerciful servant. And I want you to notice what he says. I'm going to read the whole thing. We're going to put it up on the screen because I think that this story just captures exactly this whole point of mercy and what he's calling us to do. And look what he says in verse 21, chapter 18. Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sinned against me? Up to seven times? He's just guessing. How many times? Seven times, 10 times, 11 times. How many times should I forgive someone, wipe the slate clean with them? How many times should I do that? Because it doesn't make sense to let this person continually walk all over me and oppose me. And Jesus answers, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times, seven times. So you want me to forgive them 490 times? No, you're missing the point. The point is, is that you're to forgive them no matter how many times they oppose you. Now, why would I do that? Jesus, that doesn't make sense. That's paradoxical. That is absurd. That seems contradictory. That's not how our world operates. And then he goes on, he says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. This This in our terms would be millions of dollars, impossible for this guy to pay him back. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he, his wife, and his children, and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. In other words, he was selling him into slavery, and this would have been a sentence for the rest of his life. And notice what it says. But the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his servants who owed him a 100 silver coins, which in modern-day terms would be like a couple bucks. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees, just like he had before in front of the king. He fell down on his knees, and he begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, and they went and told their masters everything that happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailer to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. 
And then notice what Jesus says. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Man, that's pretty powerful. Straight from Jesus' mouth, he's saying, listen, get the picture here. I have forgiven you of this massive debt of your sin, yet you hold against other people different things that they've done to you. And he's saying, listen, listen, why is that so? You should show mercy as you have been shown mercy. You should pardon as you have been pardoned. The second one of the Beatitudes here that we're going to look at, or the, the second one uh, is in verse, or the, I guess it would be the sixth one, but the second one we're talking about tonight is in verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I, I meet with students all the time, and they say things like, man, I just don't like see God working in my life. The second point would be the pure in heart will see God. They say, I just don't see God working in my life. Like, I don't, I don't see, like, God's influence. I don't see what he's doing here. And, and, uh, and, and I wrote this down. Jesus is saying, those who are impure in heart will see God. You will see the evidence of God here on the earth and through your life and the promise that one day you will see him face to face. See, here's a promise that he's given. He's saying, listen, here's my promise to you for the pure in heart. Those who've surrendered their life to me, this is my promise to you, that you will see evidence of me here in your life. I will work through you, and you will be able to see the evidence of that, and you can have this promise of knowing that one day you're going to see me face to face, that you're going to spend eternity with me. So what does this mean? What does pure in heart mean? Well, let's look at the word pure here. The Greek word here in, uh, in the original language of the New Testament was written in, this Greek word for pure here means clean or unstained from guilt. Clean or unstained from guilt. Remember, this pure in heart thing isn't like this is something you should do. This is who we begin to become because we have a relationship with Jesus. And so the picture actually specifically that it's giving here is this. It's this idea of being refined in a fire or like a plant being pruned. And so it would be like this. If you had, a, if you had gold and, and, you wanted to, and you wanted to take that gold and sell it, what they would do is they would heat it up really hot. They would melt the gold down. And after the gold was melted down, you would just have this hot magma-looking gold substance. And the impurities in the gold rise to the top. And then they would skim off the impurities from the top of the gold, and then they would, they would put it in a mold, they would cool it off, and then you would have a pure gold bar. That's, that's how they make a pure gold bar. And this is what he's saying here. What he's saying is, is that the ref, you, you go into the refiner's fire, as Malachi calls it, when you give your life to Christ. God then takes your heart and he begins to purify it. He begins to take away the impurities in you. It is not you and your efforts removing those things out of your life. It is the power of God, the Holy Spirit, working in your life, removing those things. He also, you can see this in the idea of pruning. That how do, you, how do you make your plant grow better and produce more flowers on it? Well, you prune it. I had, I had a rose bush out in front of my house, and I don't know anything about pruning. And I had a landscaper next door, and the, and the rose bush just, just looked weak sauce. You know what I'm saying? He had, like, just random roses growing, dried ones and all this kind of stuff. And one day he came over, he says, and I mean, his, his like, yard is, like, immaculate. It's like the yard of the neighborhood, you know? It's like, like, like God's glory is just shining on it. Like, it just glows when you drive down the road. Flowers everywhere. And, and I said, dude, how come your flowers look so awesome and mine look so terrible? And he says, listen, if you would prune it, you would see a lot more 
flowers on your plant. I said, well, what does pruning even mean? He says, well, what you do is you go over and all these little dead twigs sticking out, you cut them off and you cut off all the flowers as they begin to wither and you just cut them off down at the base. And the reason you do that is because the dead, the dead pieces suck the nutrients and the life out of the alive pieces. And so what happens is, is that the alive pieces cannot get the nutrients that they need in order for them to flourish because these dead pieces are still sucking some of the nutrients. Now, in John chapter 15, Jesus gives us this picture of God being like a pruner. God is the gardener who goes around and he prunes. He, he begins to remove the impurities, almost like the gold bar I was talking about a minute. He cuts off those things in our lives. He begins to remove those things. And practically speaking for your life, what are the dry, dead places in your life that need to be pruned because they're sucking life away from the places where God wants to flourish you and give you more in your life. And that's what he's saying here. This is, this is what it means to be pure. And what does it mean? What does the word heart mean? Well, this can be applied to the physical heart, but this also has more of a spiritual centeredness or core meaning to it. That this is actually who you are, your understanding, your knowledge, your emotions, everything within you is, is implied in this, in this word heart right here. And uh, uh, one author says it like this. It says, in, in talking about uh, the heart and what he means by being a pure in heart, he says, it means to have a singleness of heart towards God. It is more than external purity or behavior, but it is internal purity of the soul. The only way we can truly have purity of heart is to give our lives to Jesus. Notice what David says in Psalm 51.10. He says, he says to God, create in me a pure heart. Why does he say that? Why does he say create in me a pure heart? Here's why. Because you can't create that in you. God has to create the pure heart in you. You can't do it. And so what God does is, God says, listen, all I want is your heart. You give me your heart, or in this case, it would be a sign, uh, signify your life. You give your life, your heart, your everything over to me. You put it in my hands, and then I can then begin to, to help you mold that thing and, and make it pure. That God creates that in us, that God does that for us. We can't do it ourselves. It is God working in us. That is why this is the promise of Jesus. That is why we give our lives to Christ, because we're hopeless apart from the work of God in our life. We can't clean ourselves up. Some of you in this room have been trying for most of your teenage years to clean up certain areas in your life, and it is just hitting a wall every time you try to do it. And the major reason that's the case is because you're trying to do it on your own power. And God is saying, Jesus is saying here, listen, bring me your heart, lay it down at my feet, give it over to me, give your life over to me, and let me work those things out in you. I love what Andy Stanley says. He said this, God doesn't want your habits. He wants your heart. God doesn't want your habits. He wants your heart. Give God your whole heart in full surrender and your habits will follow. This would be another way to say it. How do I break my habits and sins? Give God your heart. Give God your heart. That's how you break it. Because it's not you breaking it, it is him breaking it by you giving your heart. John Piper said it this way. He says, so the heart is utterly crucial to Jesus. What we are in the deep, private recesses of our lives is what he cares about most. 
Jesus did not come in the world simply because we have some bad habits that need to be broken. He came into the world because we have such dirty hearts that need to be purified. That's good. Let me read that last part again. Jesus did not come into the world simply so that we could break some bad habits. That's sometimes what we think, right? Like, man, I got some bad habits in my life. I got some sins that are tripping me up. I need to go to church to help me break those. Jesus did not come in the world to break your bad habits that need to be broken. He came in the world because you have such a dirty heart that needs to be purified. And when he purifies your heart, the rest of the stuff falls into place. That's the gospel. That's the message of Christianity, the message of Jesus that what we cannot do in our own power, he does through the cross. A person with a pure heart has pure motives. What are your motives? Motives for everything you do in your life. Listen, we can even have impure motives even when it comes to ministry. People do all the time. And when you're doing ministry or doing anything in your life, whether it relates to friendships, whether it relates to your parents, whether it relates to even coming to church, here's the question to ask yourself. Do I want more for people or from people? Do I want more for people or do I want more from people? Think about that in your friendships. Think about it in your friendships just for a minute. Do I want more for my friends or do I want more from my friends? Do I want more for my parents who I love and care about or do I want more from my parents? Do I want more for my church, for H12, for my small group, or do I want more from my small group, from H12, from my church? And how you answer that question is telling of where your heart is. The day that ministry becomes more about what I get from people than what I do for people, I'm out. That's my promise. I never got into ministry because of what I can get from it. I got in it because I see the great need that the people have around us. And I want to help them see the truth. I want them to see the light. I want their lives to be changed and transformed. I want to hear these stories that we got to hear tonight. Real, legitimate stories of people's lives who've been turned upside down and changed because they intersected an almighty creator God. And that is why we're here. That's why we do ministry. I bet if every person in the church looked at the church as, hey, I want, I, what, what am I doing for the church less more than what I'm getting from the church? I'm telling you, it would turn the church upside down. It would turn the church upside down. It would flip the idea of consumerism in church upside down, which I think is the greatest problem in American church, consumerism. I want the preacher to preach like this. I want the music to sound like this. I want this to be like this. I want that to be like that. And if it's not, I'm going to go to the next church. Is it really about Jesus or is it about you in that situation? I want my small group to be like this. I want my leader to be like this. I want this person to be like this. Uh, I want the cliques to not be like this. I want the people in, the, in, this, in this area of the room to stop acting up all the time and distracting me. Because if this doesn't happen, I'm not going to come. Is it about you? Or is it about the church? See, it's telling when we start asking those questions. And let me tell you something. I have to ask myself the same question. Do I want more from my wife or do I want more for my wife? 
The third one, blessed are the peacemakers. Verse nine, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. Well, I'm gonna brush over this. We're gonna go quick through this one. But here's a question I wanna ask yourself. And I think there's, there's kind of two tensions when you think about the peacemakers. Here's the deal. Do you bring peace? Do people know you as a person who bring peace or do you stir the pot? You know what I'm saying? Y'all know the stir the pot people, right? Like they always gotta be in the center of drama. You know what I'm talking about? Like they're argumentative, they're defensive, they're gossiping about something. Like they're always stirring the pot. Anybody know stir the pot type of people? Raise your hand if you know somebody like that. Some people are like this right here, right? Like I know a lot of people like that. Hey, have you ever been around someone? Have you ever been around someone who is, who is just peaceful? Like everyone, when they're around them, they're just like, dude, like, I just like, you're just such a good listener. Like, you're so peaceful. Like, I just, I love being around you. Like, there's something about people who can bring peace to a situation. Listen, do you bring peace to the situation or do you stir the pot? Do you bring peace to the situation or do you stir the pot? This is, this is a picture of what he's given here. One of the, I was talking with the middle school pastor. His name's uh, uh, Stephen Perry. Some of you guys were in the middle school here at uh, M12. Some of y'all serve there now. And him and I were talking and, and he said this, and I thought this was great. I wrote it down. He said this. He says, do people see you as a threat or as a breath of fresh air? That's pretty good. When you're around other people, do they see you as a threat or as a breath of fresh air. You know those people that when you get around them, you're like, dude, they're just a breath of fresh air. Man, I think of Sandy Knapp, our administrative assistant here at H12. Dude, she's probably not in here. She's probably not in here because she's out serving the crap out of us right now, getting ready for the next thing. But dude, she's just a breath of fresh air, man. Jesus is all over that lady. And when you're around her, you just, it's just peace. It doesn't matter what's going on in her life. She's got stuff going on in her life right now that none of you would ever even imagine going through. But every time you're around her, dude, it is peace. She's a peacemaker, man. She's a, she's a peacemaker. And I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you guys with that. I want to encourage you to be people. And that's what he's saying here. He's encouraging us to be, be peacemakers to others. I'm going to move on. Last one. He says this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. So they're persecuted because of their relationship with Jesus. That's what he's talking about. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is an assurance. This is more than a promise. This is an assurance. This is not just like, hey, this is something for the future, but this is something for you right now. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on. He says this in verse 11. He spends one verse on all the other Beatitudes, but on this one, he spends three. And he says this. Blessed are you when people insult you. Ever been insulted for your faith? Persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Listen to what he says. This is our response. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Hey, you're in good company. The men of God before you were persecuted. Now, Jesus tells us in Scripture, and think about how paradoxical this is. This is what he's saying. Blessed are you when people persecute. Hold on a second. If I am blessed because I'm being persecuted, then I would rather just not be blessed. 
Like this is paradoxical. What do you mean rejoice and be glad when people are picking up stones to stone me, when people are insulting me, when people are trying to kill me for my faith? You say, hold on, Derek, man, that's a little extreme, talking about killing people for your faith. Let me tell you something. Just this week, over 30 Christians were beheaded by ISIS. Over 30. A couple weeks ago, 147, 147 people were systematically executed at Kenya College. National news. Their college was stormed. The people were separated. The Christians were singled out, and they were shot and killed. The only reason was that they believed in Jesus. The only reason. You say, oh, yeah, yeah, that persecution thing was in the past. This last year, 2014, more people were martyred for their faith than in the last 20 years. Over 4,400 people confirmed, that's not even the people that were unconfirmed, confirmed, murdered just because they believed in Jesus. In fact, you go and look at the news right now, look at any news station. There'll be an article, genocide on Christians in Syria, genocide on Christians in Iraq, genocide on Christians in Somalia. 50 to 70,000 Christians in North Korea are in prison camps, like concentration camps, just not with the gas chambers right now currently as we speak. And that is the punishment for being a Christian. It is illegal to be a Christian in more countries than it is to be legal to be a Christian. You're just so insulated from it and you don't think it's a big deal. Man, this is a life or death thing for many people around the world. That's why when they read this passage, it means something completely different. All these guys had to do to prevent themselves from being beheaded was to say, hey, bro, you got the wrong guy. I'm not a Christian. But they remembered the scripture, blessed are you when people persecute you, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people persecute you, insult you, and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. For great is your reward in heaven. Rejoice and be glad. And listen, I know this to be the case. Persecution comes in many different forms, and it's not just that you may be facing martyrdom and being murdered for your faith, but persecution comes in being insulted and being made fun of. Persecution comes in your school all the time. I know that it is not easy to carry the banner of Christ over your life in your schools and to be boldly proclaiming his name because you know what that can cost you. It can cost you friendships. It can cost you ridicule. It can cost you things. But here's what I want to ask you tonight. Are you willing to stand for Jesus no matter what? Are you willing to face persecution? See, Jesus promises us that we will face persecution. He doesn't just say, blessed are you when it happens. He tells us it's going to happen. This is what he says. This is what he says in, in, uh, in, uh, in uh, John chapter 15, verses 20 through 21. He says, if they persecute me, they will persecute you. If they persecute me, which they did, they will persecute you, meaning that you will be persecuted if you call yourself a follower of Jesus. But notice what he says here. I want you to think about this. 
He says, because great is your reward in heaven. Why is it blessed? Because there is a reward that is eternal, that lasts forever. That The life we live now is temporary. It's here and now. It's short. But there's an eternity that we're going to, and there's a reward there. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, listen, the reward of heaven is so much greater. The crowns in heaven are so much greater than any crown you could wear here on earth. Great is your reward in heaven. This is the reason later in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus gives us these promises that we will be called the children of God that we will inherit the earth, that, we will, that, that the kingdom of heaven is ours. These are promises that we, can, that we can rely on. We don't have to worry about Jesus stealing our clothes and running back and locking the door and making us run around naked, hopeless, you know, you know, being embarrassed. No, Jesus, God isn't that way. God, is, God keeps his promises. He follows through. He's faithful. Even when people in our life aren't faithful, we can trust that God is faithful. We can trust him in that. So I got a couple questions for you as the band comes up. We're going to close out. These are some response questions. And this last song, I want you to think through these because I think that each one of these beatitudes may speak to you differently. For some of you, for some of you, it's mercy. You think of the unmerciful servant. You say, you know what? I know I'm a believer. I realize my sin debt that God has forgiven me of. But honestly, I got some forgiveness issues with people in my life. And maybe you need to ask yourself the question, who do I need to show mercy to? Or where, what are the areas of my life that need that I need to exemplify or give out more mercy. The second is this, the pure in heart. I mean, this is a question that we all have to ask ourselves. Have you given your whole heart over to Jesus? Man, if you're trying to defeat sin or bad habits or whatever you have in your life and, and, and you're still hanging on to your heart, listen, listen, it's a futile effort. And go and take your heart, your life, put it in the hands of the refiner and let him melt it down and remove the impurities from your heart. And maybe you as the peacemakers, maybe you need to ask yourself the question, do I stir the pot? Or do people know me as someone who is peaceful, that they could trust, that they can know that I'm there for them? And if you're a pot stirrer, man, you need to turn from that. And you need to make some things right with God tonight. And the persecuted. Where is it that you have not taken a stand for Jesus because you are afraid of how people are going to treat you? And tonight you're going to make a decision that is going to be different. Now, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. We're going to talk about announcements in a minute, but next week is H12 Got Talent. And H12 Got Talent, if you've never been to it, is insanely sick, nasty, awesome. So sick, nasty. And it is, it is some of the best talent from H12 and beyond. It is, and, and we meet over in the main room, and, you know, uh, you guys get to text, vote in who you think is going to win and all this kind of stuff. There's no message next week. But listen, listen, listen. I want you to hear this. I want you to grab this. I want you to focus in on this. We don't do H12 Got Talent 
We don't do H12 Got Talent for the people that are in this room. We do it for the people that are outside of this room that would never come to a church service or a worship service like this, but would come to support their friend in a talent show to watch some people dance and sing and magic and comedy and all the stuff that's going to be happening there in this awesome show next week. And so this is a high invite week for us. We're going to give out invite cards tonight that you can take and invite people. I want you to be inviting people to next week because here's the deal. Next week, we're going to be promoting the week after where I'm going to be moving on in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to be talking about a passage which I've already wrote the message for. My most excited I am for any message in this series. And one of the most excited I probably am for this entire semester is going to be the week after H12 Got Talent. It is going to be powerful. And you don't want to miss it. We want to get people here next week so that they can say, hey, you know what, man? Christians aren't a bunch of stuck-up people that don't know how to have fun. We know how to have fun. We know how to party. We know how to, yeah, we know how to get down. You know what I'm saying? And, and then we're going to tell them, hey, you want to come back next week. And they're going to come back next week. And they're going to hear the awesome worship. And they're going to hear an awesome message. And hopefully some of them will respond to Christ. And we're going to see life change happen. And we're going to see some momentum out of it. But listen, that doesn't happen if you don't say, hey, you know what? I'll be willing to put my reputation on the line. I'll be willing to get insulted, persecuted, or whatever. Take a stand for Jesus and invite some people to my church. Invite some people to something that maybe in the future, when they're sitting here in this tub, like Andrea was in that video saying, hey, you know what? My friend... Victoria Paskovitz, Vika, kept inviting me, and finally I came. Or people like Kendall, who says, man, Brooke Livingston kept inviting me, and finally I came. And I can go down the list of people in the room whose lives were changed because their friend invited them, they came, and Jesus intersected their life, and they'll never be the same because of it. That's the intensity. That's the intensity of next week. So I'm going to pray for you. Deal with some of those questions in this time of worship. This is a response time for you, and then we'll break out for connection groups after announcements. God, I want to pray for these students. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness and grace. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that as we read these scriptures, we can see ourselves in this story. That this is not some, this is not some old, traditional, outdated, irrelevant source that we can't find truth for in our life today. Because the word, your word tells us that you never change. You never change. That this is just as relevant for our life today as it will be 2,000 years from now as it was 2,000 years from now. So God, I just pray, Lord, that your word would penetrate our hearts. That you would be with those students in this room that have some forgiveness issues with some people in their life that they need to, they need to forgive 70 times 7. They need to forgive. They need to get past it. It doesn't mean that they forget about it. It doesn't mean they got to be BFFs, but it does mean that they have to forgive. Maybe there's others in here, Lord, who've been trying to hold on. They've been trying to work with all their effort to break free from some sin, some change, some habits, some stuff in their life. And tonight, they just needed to hear, I need to surrender my life. I need to give my heart over, God. I need to let you take it and you purify it. Maybe there's some people in here and they just, if they're honest with themselves, they just stir the pot. When it comes to drama, if they're not at the center of it, they're pretty close. And tonight, they need to do some business with you. Maybe there's others in here, Lord, who've been persecuted because of their faith recently. They've been discouraged because of that. I pray that this, this truth right here would be an encouragement to them. That they can rejoice and be glad because they can have faith knowing that there's a great reward for them in heaven. 
And God, maybe there's others in here who need that challenge tonight to step up and do something. To stop being passive. To stop being worried about what other people think. To stop being worried about if they're going to be made fun of or lose a friendship or a relationship because they're honest about where they stand with God. And God, tonight you would just build a boldness within them. You would challenge them with that, Lord. Man, all this is a challenge to me. May it be all challenge to us, Lord. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.